0: What's good boys and girls, welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday the 15th of June and we're brought to you by Epilindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, keeps your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk Right, folks, busy day yesterday in the European Championships and also in the Copa America. We'll start with the Euros. Scotland, out first against the Czech Republic, played really well. The Scots played really well, created some decent chances, and then seemed to panic in the final third. Run out 2-0 losers to the Czech Republic, but in truth did themselves pretty proud. I thought the midfield five looked really good and looked comfortable on the stage. Unfortunately for them, the two boys up front, Dykes and Christie, Christie's not really a striker. He's more of a midfielder, and him and Armstrong were switching roles, but they really could have done with a second natural forward on. It's strange to me that Che Adams didn't didn't start. I thought Scott McTominay had a bit of a floating game where he didn't really impact the game as much as he could have. Had some nice touches on the ball, some decent runs off the ball, but you needed to see more. You want them to be a bit more forceful. But the lack of quality up front and the lack of quality at the back, I mean, you are talking about championship-caliber defenders and Patrick Schick. As frustrating as he is, is a high-level player. When he's on form, he was exceptional yesterday. His first goal is a great header. There's absolutely nothing that the Scottish defense or David Marshall can do with it. The second goal is one of the best goals we'll ever see in the European Championships. For whatever reason, and if someone will need to ask him this, Jack Henry decides to take a shot on from. 35 yards out it gets blocked very easily and it bounces into the opposition half back into the Scottish half and Schick runs on to it and about what 4 or 5 yards inside their half hits this shot that seems to be aiming for the corner flag starts really wide but it's whipped and there's a big big dip on it David Marshall was wandering around doing God knows what he was doing Realises what's happening and ends up wrapped in his own net. But Patrick Schick deserves all the credit. It's an incredible goal. It really is. Now, the Athletic today have put together a list of the best goals at the European Championships. So they've got uh, John Jensen's goal in the 92 final uh, against Germany, which is a, an absolute belter from the edge of the box into the top corner. You'll remember he went to Arsenal. Tried to replicate that goal time and again and nearly knocked unconscious half the clock end at Highbury. Um, Henrik Larsson against Bulgaria in 2004, the diving header. Absolutely tremendous goal. Hal robson Canu, that little turn and go uh, against Belgium in 2016. Very, very good goal. Very, very clever goal. Not on the same level, I don't think. As the rest of these, Marco van Basten's iconic volley in the 88 final is probably still number one on the list for me. Just the the sheer level of technique involved from that angle on the volley first time to get it up over the goalkeeper at that angle is incredible. Um, Alfonso Perez against Yugoslavia for Spain in 2000. Don't really remember that goal, if I'm being honest. Off the top of my head, I do not remember that goal. I'll have to have a look at that. I, don't, I genuinely don't remember. And then, which is the next one is probably my favourite goal. It's Croatia against Denmark in the 96 Euros at Hillsborough. And I had gone into this tournament hoping that Denmark would do well because Michael Laudrup was playing for them and he'd missed out on 96, and he's my favourite player of all time. But Croatia were just kind of the stars of the show in terms of this new team, them and the Czech Republic, these new teams that just sort of appeared. And we'd had Bulgaria and Romania in 94 at the World Cup. There were these newer teams of players we didn't really know. In 92, it had been the Danes. Go back to 90, Yugoslavia, Cameroon, teams like that. Croatia were one of the two teams in this tournament. And Davor Sucker, who I'd seen play for Real Madrid, picks the ball up on a counter-attack. Schmeichel had gone up for a corner and is charging back and the, the Croats' break. It's a cross-field ball. Suker takes an incredible first touch. Schmeichel manages to get himself back in position. And with just this perfect, like almost like a golf shot, Suker chips him. And you can see the back spin on the ball as it just sails over Schmeichel's head and nestles in the back of the net. That's my favourite European Championship goal. And I would put it in the top three that I've seen with Van Basten 1, I think Schick now 2, and that number 3. Credit to Scotland, like I said, they played well. Unfortunately, their lack of quality in defence and up front just cost them. The lack of Kieran Tierney was a big blow. After that, then, we had Poland against Slovakia. I did fancy the Poles, I have to say. I did think they'd come through in this game. But Milan Skriniar was just head and shoulders above anyone else in the pitch. Lewandowski had a stinker. Must be said, an absolute stinker of a game. Went and sat on Satka, the other Slovakian centre-back who plays for Lech Poznan in Poland. Thinking, I would imagine, that he'd have an easier time on him than he would against Skriniar, but he got absolutely no change out of him. Um, Poland were dreadful first half. I thought Slovakia played quite well. Max opened the scoring, picked the ball up wide left, beat two defenders. You'd ask questions of the defence. Drives into the box. Nobody goes to close him down. Nobody. I would imagine somebody's job was to go and close him down. And nobody did. He beats Chesney at the near post. Now it's been given as an own goal on Chesney because it hit the post and bounced back, hit the goalkeeper, went in. It's harsh. It's Max's goal. Chesney should do better though. Poland came out in the second half and started to play really good football straight away. Really nice move, drops to Carolinetti in the box, and a scuffed finish into the bottom corner. The scuffed finish probably caught the goalkeeper off off guard and actually helped the, the ball hit the net, but. Um, Linetti played well in the second half. Poland created a number of chances. He could have had two more. But there was nothing really from Lewandowski. Sioninski was buzzing around, popping up here and there, but couldn't really get into the game. Uh Jozwiak on the off the right, not influencing the game you would have, the way you would have hoped him to do. Then Kruzoviak gets himself sent off on 62 minutes. I want to say 62 minutes. He he'd already been booked. And this was a soft yellow card. Like, this was a really soft yellow card, but it was just the accumulation of fouls through the game. You really would have liked the referee just grab a hold of him and say, look, that's it. No more. Final warning. Anything at all, you're gone. But he gives him the second yellow, and off he goes. And seven minutes later, Slovakia are back in front. Uh, It's a corner. Comes across. Skriniar's first touch is brilliant. Pulls it out of the sky. Swivels. Buries it in the bottom corner. And he deserved it because he had been tremendous. It's, that's the best defensive performance by an individual we've seen yet in these competitions. Uh, in, in this competition, rather. So credit to him. Slovakia deserved the win. They were good value for it. Really disappointed with Poland. Really, really disappointed. Didn't think they were going to win it. Didn't think they were going to pull up a whole bunch of trees. But that's a game they should have won. Final game of the day. Spain versus Sweden. Spain had 86% of the ball. They made 917 passes. 917. The record was like 840. They did that as well against Ireland. This, this was ridiculous. They passed the air out of the ball. And yet, they didn't create anything, in any real clear opportunities bar the one that Alvaro Morata managed to make a mess of. The Spanish team selection was weird. Um, I don't understand why you'd play Rodri Hernandez in a game where you're going to have nearly 90% of the ball Thiago Alcantara sat on the bench I get the inclusion of Coke. it allows Lorente who's somehow playing right back to bomb forward and Coke can cover in those two know each other very well from playing together at Atletico Madrid have a good relationship but even at that, you're still asking Lorente to start in quite a deep position when he wants to be further forward. He is, he was a defensive midfielder at an early point in his career. But in the last couple of years under Simeone, he's become much more of a an attack-minded midfielder. I thought Pedri played well. I thought Donny Almo played well. I thought Ferran Torres was poor. Maratha was very poor. Not really understanding why Gerard Moreno didn't start. He came into this tournament in great form full of confidence after helping Villarreal win the Europa League. Mikel or Yazabal should have started much more of a goal threat. If you're going to start Morata as your nine, you've got to put goals either side of him. Because he won't get you goals. He will work hard, he'll link the play, he'll run the channels. His hold-up play is very good. But he's not someone who's going to get you a bunch of goals. If you got him as your nine, you need to put goals either side. Now, Ferran Torres can get goals... In limited amounts, but he's very very inexperienced, and I think he's better off the left than he is off the right, because he likes to cut in field under that right foot. Or yards the ball, then could have come in on the right hand side. But like I said, Almo was the best of the front three. But again, I think Danny Danny Almo's better when he plays a slightly deeper role, you know, wide in a four rather than narrow in a three. Alexander Isaac was brilliant for the Swedes. He's Spain just couldn't deal with him. His power, his pace, his dribbling, his ability to just hold the ball, keep it, put his back into somebody, drop his arse into somebody, and and just keep the ball away from them. And he put the ball on a plate for Marcus Berg, uh, who managed to sky over from three yards. Quite a bizarre finish. Um, Sweden didn't offer a whole lot of much, but what this game did offer us was an insight into just how poor Of a co-commentator. Danny Murphy is. Um, He just. Offers no insight. Everything is a cliche. He clearly doesn't have any idea. About any of the players he's watching. Other than the ones that play in the Premier League. Or that he might have seen in the latter rounds of the Champions League. When you contrast that with Emma Hayes. Who is the uh, Chelsea women's manager. And the insight she brings. The tactical knowledge she has, the way she explains things, she doesn't try and talk over the, the play-by-play guy. She's not there to do his job. she's there to compliment him and to add something different. That's the role of the color of the, of the co-commentator. We st- The best combination at these euros are Clive Tilsley and Ali McCoys. They're, they're brilliant together, but Emma Hayes is the next best thing as a co-commentator. And in some ways, she's actually better than McCoyce. But McCoyce, of course, was a manager as well. So he has tactical knowledge. He can explain why, or potentially why, managers are doing things. Like, when there's a substitution, you'd like to hear some insight into, well, why are they making that substitution? What's the thinking here? If you're in their, their shoes, why would you be making that decision? That's what I want to hear from a, color, from, from a co-commentator. I don't want to hear Danny Murphy telling me that Sweden are making a mistake bringing on Robin Kwaeson because they need someone to run in behind, when that's what he does. In fact, that's all he does, is run in behind all day long. But Danny Murphy has no idea who the player is. There's been some good commentary in this competition. Danny Murphy's not part of that. And the fact that there are still multiple outlets willing to sign checks to Danny Murphy to be constantly wrong about football is staggering. Absolutely staggering. And the sooner it changes and the sooner it becomes less jobs for the old boys and more jobs for people that actually know what they're doing, the better off football coverage will be. Uh, Last bit of news then out of the Euros. Dean Henderson has been withdrawn from the England squad due to a hip injury. And Aaron Ramsdale has been called up. So Aaron Ramsdale was the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League this past season. He was the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League the season before. And now he's at the Euros. But the squad is picked on form. It's all about form. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. To me, because England have already started their competition, they shouldn't be allowed to change anybody. Now, if they wanted to bring in another goalkeeper for training purposes, fair enough, but he shouldn't be allowed to play. Like if Ramsdale was called up just to train, no problem with that, but he shouldn't be allowed to play. But now England's goalkeepers are Jordan Pickford, Sam Johnson, and Aaron Ramsdale. Three of the worst goalkeepers in the Premier League. That is staggering incompetence that England have not been able to develop a good goalkeeper at this point. I know Nick Pope got hurt. I know Henderson is hurt. But even at that, are either them top-class goalkeepers? Not really. Pope's good. Henderson, when we've seen him, has been good. He was good for Sheffield United. But how you end up with Jordan Pickford, Sam Johnston, and Aaron Ramsdale as your three goalkeepers at a major tournament, I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. I don't think England have ever taken as bad a collection of goalkeepers to a major tournament. Uh, moving on to the Cup uh, Cup America. Two games last night. Argentina won, Chile won. Argentina went 1-0 up through a Lionel Messi free kick from about 20 yards, bent into the top corner. The, the typical Messi free kick that we've seen him do 400 times over his career. Eduardo Vargas made it 1-1 on 57. This is a a strange time for Argentina where, you know, they're sort of coming towards the end of the Messi era and they're still trying to patch things together around him. And there's a really talented younger era coming along that are sort of been held back a little bit, maybe because they don't trust him yet to play with Messi. But when you see Nicolas Otamendi's name on a team sheet in 2021 for Argentina, you have to realise something has gone wrong. Like, Lisandro Martinez was sitting on the bench. He's so much better than Otamendi at this point. So much better. And I get that Romero was hurt, but there's no excuse ever for playing Otamendi at this point. I, he's probably, He has to be friendly with Messi. There can be no other explanation for, for him even being in the squad. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul not impressive again I keep seeing people link him to top clubs and I mean there's a reason that at the age of 27 he's still at Udinese he could have been bought every single summer since he joined them and he's been there since 2016 and someone could have bought him every single year and nobody has and there's a reason for it. It's the same reason Hakim Ziyech stayed so long at Ajax and had the season he had in the Premier League when he arrived. There are just players who are really good in certain situations, certain setups, where certain responsibilities are taken away from them, where they're not being asked to do any defensive work, where others are taking care of of the dirty work for them, and they are being allowed to just do their thing on the ball. No top club is going to allow that. None. Especially in midfield. Whatever about using, letting a, an attacker or like Liverpool have let in the past let Mo Salah have a little bit less defensive responsibility. We've seen Cristiano Ronaldo teams pander to him and, and not ask him to do any defensive work. Barca have gone that way with Messi, obviously in recent years. But like that's different. <laughs> They're a different level of player than Rodrigo De Paul. Um, he just he doesn't impress me at all. He's obviously very talented, and in a good mid-table team, I think he'd do a good job. If Villa sell Grealish. Bring him in. Play him as your 10 with Emi Buendia to one side and let those two work together. But that's got a ceiling on it of probably 6th or 7th. This guy's not a top-four-caliber player. Stop linking him to Liverpool. Stop talking about him to Manchester United, to Manchester City, to Barcelona, to Real Madrid. He's not that-caliber player. If he ends up at, at AC Milan, it's because AC Milan haven't been good for years. If AC Milan were still great the way they were fifteen years ago, he's not ending up there. Simple as that. Um, we will take oh, there was sorry, there was a second game at the Copa America. Bolivia against Paraguay. Paraguay won 3 uh, 1. Alejandro Romero and Angel Morero with the goals. Juami Queller? Juami Queller. he was sent off. In stoppage time at the end of the first half, Irvin Sevedri, I think it's Sevedri Savedra. he'd put Bolivia one 0 up from the penalty spot after ten minutes. Then descending off second half, all Paraguay dominant performance in Paraguay in the second half by by the looks of the highlights. Um, thirty four shots, thirty four shots, eleven on target, seventy nine percent possession. Um. Nobody expects much, I don't think, from Bolivia anyway at this point. But um, the Paraguay team, they look feisty. They do. They look feisty. Argentina would be very disappointed with their draw. Like I said, that team is just... It just isn't it. But then this was, you, look at, you look at the Chile team and Claudio Brava still there. Gary Medell is still there. Um, Rizio, Ila is still there right back. You've still got Vidal in midfield. That is an aging team as well. But how strange is it to see Chile with no Alexis Sanchez? That's very, very strange. Anyway, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll rush through the Premier League news. There's not a whole bunch, I have to say. And uh, we'll wrap up with the gossip. I've seen a few. Right, welcome back. So we have a little bit of Premier League news today. Not a whole bunch. Um, West Bromwich Albion's technical and sporting director, Luke Dowling, has left the club by mutual consent. He was leading the search for a new manager, uh, but the club's ownership vetoed the appointment of Chris Wilder, who was Dowling's first choice. Michael Appleton was apparently one of the choices as well. He, he's been at Lincoln, uh, but he's no longer an option. It did also look like David Wagner could be a choice. Alex Neal's name has been mentioned. But um, now that the the sporting director is gone, you'd imagine the, the the whole thing will start over, and they will start looking elsewhere. It's a bit of a strange situation with West Brom this summer, where they're Chinese owned, and there's a lot of pressure from the Chinese government on Chinese, you know, millionaires and billionaires to bring their money home, and they've been threatened with massive tax bills on any money that's abroad. So a lot of them are are pulling back and, you know, some of them are are looking to sell the clubs that they own. The Wolves are up for sale. There's been rumours about Southampton. Um, There's been some rumours about West Brom. We've all seen what's happened with Inter Milan where Conte has left and now a bunch of the players are available for sale. But West Brom now find themselves with an uncertain ownership situation, no sporting director and no manager. And I'm not being funny, but we're halfway into June. Season starts in two months You might want to get your act together you have got going to have to buy some players You're going to have to get those players ready And then you're going to have to go play a bunch of games And you can't just chuck someone in And hope for the best um, There was a statement put up On the uh, official West Brom website Where they talked about The search for a new manager Wanting to make sure it was the right one About uh, Luke Dowling leaving I'm assuming he's leaving over falling out Probably pertaining to Chris Wilder. But he'll have to be replaced as well. And by all accounts, he was quite good at his job as well. So, you know, there's that. And then there was mention of the season tickets. So they've put the early bird season tickets up on sale now. They had been hoping to hold out until they had appointed a new manager. But that's just gone on so long that now they have to put the season tickets up. But you're looking at asking people to part with a substantial chunk of money when they don't know who's managing their team or what kind of football they're going to be watching next year. Um, Are they bringing in a manager who's going to immediately get them back in the mix for for promotion again? Or is it somebody who's going to have a settling in season changing quite a bit and then you go and you you try and get promoted? Um, Also looks like Scott Parker is to leave Fulham. Uh, John Percy in the Telegraph reporting that. and I've just seen a notification that that the Athletic have um, followed up on that story as well. Scott Parker to leave Fulham Apparently It looks like he's going to Bournemouth Yeah, I mean it's a very Bournemouth type appointment I did think Jonathan Woodgate might get the job permanently Given he did quite well As the interim manager Now I don't think Woodgate's up to much as a manager We saw what he did At Middlesbrough But having had a relatively decent run At Bournemouth, I thought he might get a longer opportunity. But it does look like Parker will be the one there. um, With Fulham now joining the teams, looking for a new manager. Now, I think Fulham should have made this decision months ago. They should have been the one to say goodbye to him. He did not do well in the Premier League. He did well in the Championship. It must be said, he did well to get them up. He was disastrous in the Championship. Got a lot of praise for things that didn't actually happen for a turnaround. and, And none of it happened. None of it happened. At no point did you look at Fulham and think, yeah, they're going to stay up because Parker's going to keep them up. That squad was a mid-table squad. That they were in the relegation places to begin with was on the manager. Considering how poor most of the bottom half of the league was, for them to get relegated is a shambles with that amount of quality at the club. He was given more than enough talent. And he used it so, so poorly. Best of luck, Bournemouth. Enjoy. Enjoy. If I'm David Brooks or Lewis Cook or any of those type of players, I'm asking to leave pretty quickly. Because I don't think they're coming up. Not with him in charge. Not with him. I think he got lucky at Fulham. I don't think it'll happen again. Um, Fulham's job will be appealing, though. It will, there's there's a lot of money to spend at the club There's a lot of work to do this summer Because obviously they've lost all the players they brought in on loan But there's still the the bones of a squad that's been promoted twice Maybe they'll keep one or two that they had last season on loan uh, You could see Josh Maja staying there maybe This probably means that Mitrovic stays And he'll be one of the best players in the, the championship And you better believe he'll be motivated to play against Bournemouth Um, So... I can see that job being appealing. The issue with Fulham is the lack of leadership on the ground. You've got Tony Khan, the owner of the, the son of the owner who runs, he runs the day to day, but he does it from Jacksonville where they own the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've got an enormous company that I think they sell tools, um, both in store and online. And that's where they make the bulk of their money. Uh, but they own the Jacksonville Jaguars. They own all elite wrestling. So, They're both based in Jacksonville. He's very busy with those two things. He just doesn't have time for Fulham. And he can claim he does, but nobody has time to run three big sports enterprises. Nobody does. Most people don't have time to run one. Um, So that's something Fulham need to figure out as well. Liverpool have announced plans to... uh, No, Liverpool have gotten the go-ahead to expand Anfield. Uh, A £60 million expansion to the Anfield Road road. end has been given the green light and work is to start very soon, it doesn't look like they'll have much in the way of a loss of revenue. They'll be adding 7,000 seats to take the ground capacity to 61,000, which, you know, when you consider that when Fenway Sports Group took over, it was forty-four, forty-five thousand. Uh, 45,000. That's a substantial, substantial increase. And I don't think they'll be finished either. And when you think about it, They've also gotten planner permission to hold GAA games, so Gaelic or Hurling, either exhibition or we get some All-Ireland games played over there if the GAA want to promote the sport, uh, up to six concerts a, a year, and American football matches for a period of five years. Now, you'd only play an American football on the actual pitch that's there. You'd want to be bringing in an artificial pitch. But um, it's interesting. Now, the one big issue, obviously, with GAA games is that the pitch is too short at Anfield for GAA. GAA pitches are about 125, 130 metres. Uh, the pitch at Anfield is like 101, 102. But they could play they could play Super 11s, which is 11 on the side hurling. They could play that. That'd be great. Uh, that's a really... For those that have never watched hurling... Go on YouTube and just Google hurling highlights. H-U-R-L-I-N-G for the Americans who don't understand me properly. Hurling highlights and just go and watch it. And that is the best played sport in the world. That is when hurling is played well, it's the best sport in the world. Have a look at the goalkeeper in a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. Saving projectiles fired at him from men with sticks. And then have a look at what your ice hockey goalkeepers were. That's all I'll say on the matter. We'll move on. Uh, Liverpool announced more good news. This one is for Guy Drinkle. Adrian San Miguel de Castillo has signed a new two-year contract extension to stay on as a sub-goalkeeper. It's likely he'll be number three. Liverpool fans have lost their minds at this news because they hold Adrian solely responsible for costing them the the Champions League tie against Atletico Madrid, when in truth, he's not to blame. He, he he had a stinker, but he's not the reason they lost those games. He's not the reason they lost those games at all. Um, they just got outmanaged by Diego Simeone, Outfought in midfield, and Atletico took the chances, whereas Liverpool did not. That's what happened. Adrian made a mistake. That's it. He made a mistake. Fine, happens to everybody. He played a key role in them winning the title. Um, when Alison Becker got hurt But uh, yeah he'll he'll be He's there to stay and train That's basically his role now He'll be a training goalkeeper We'll probably never, never see him start another game Stop being mean to the guy on Twitter He's clearly ecstatic To be staying at Liverpool And to those who are saying No no other club has ever Given him a contract extension before Stop lying to yourselves Stop lying to yourselves. He was a professional at Real Betis for seven seasons. Do you really think he only had one contract? He was at West Ham for six seasons. Again, he didn't just have one contract. Nobody has ever paid a transfer fee for him. Oh, but he's only had two moves, so that's not really a big surprise either. Bizarre the things that people try and say to disparage that fella who was given... As good as he possibly can since joining. Yeah, he's not good enough to start. But yeah, he's absolutely good enough to be there in training. Leave the fellow alone. Stop being mean. Uh, we'll wrap up with the gossip. Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo has once again refused to rule out a move away from Juventus before his contract ends next year. He's been linked with Manchester United with the Italian side hoping to cash in on the veteran player. They're not hoping to cash in. They're hoping to cash out. They're hoping to have to have Hoping that they will be able to stop paying him seventy million a year, um, plus bonuses, plus whatever else, they're just hoping to get him off their books and get rid. So, if Manchester United have twenty-five million that they can spare and are willing to take on his wages, they'll absolutely be able to put, to, to buy him this summer. Raheem Sterling will hold talks at Manchester City after Euro twenty twenty to discuss. His future at the club, I think they'd be absolutely insane to sell Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling is one of the best players in the league. He's only 26, doesn't turn 27 until December. And he has been tremendous for City. Now, he had a poor season this past season. There's no doubt about that. But the three seasons before that, 23 and 46, 25 and 51, 31 and 52. For a non-striker, that is a phenomenal return. He is a great player. Now, it's not all his fault either that he had a bad season. Pep insists on playing him on the left. He's much better and much more comfortable on the right of the front three, especially when he can play real narrow. But City never replaced Leroy Sané, and that's been the big problem. The failure to replace Leroy Sané with an actual out-and-out left winger which enables Pep's system to work properly, where De Bruyne plays with, say, Rodri and Gundogan, and then you've got Sterling, Gabby Jesus, as it'll be next year, and a left winger. And in possession, it flexes to 4-4-2, with De Bruyne moving from in to out, going and playing basically as a roving right winger. The left-sided forward dropping out and almost playing like a roving left winger. They can move in, they can move out. Your full-backs get forward. Your full-backs can underlap when they need to. But since uh, Leroy Sané left, they haven't been the same. And they haven't looked the same team. This season, they played really good football, but it was when they got into a different type of shape, a different type of rotation. And Zhao can say it was stepping from full-back into midfield, forming a two, with Rodri in front of a back three. And then you had a front five, basically, that were just constantly rotating. There was no out-and-out striker. But everybody was playing through the middle, or wide, or in the channel. And it just worked for them. But Raheem Sterling's flexibility, his tactical versatility, what an intelligent player he is, which is often overlooked, those get discounted because he didn't have the best season. He had three great years before that. He's a tremendous player. They'd be mental to sell him at this age. Absolutely mental. England winger Jaden Sancho expects to become a Manchester United player despite Dortmund rejecting a 70 a 67 million pound bid for him. The Bundesliga Club are holding out for 77 million with add-ons. This is from the Manchester Evening News, and again they're lying to people. Dortmund are holding out for 85 million and 15 million in add-ons. United's offer was 59 million plus add-ons. And the idea that he expects to become a Manchester United player is nonsense. I don't think he, he really does. I think he expects United to mess about the way they did last summer, then throw the arms up in the air and wonder why they get nothing done. And then wonder why they don't win anything. Chelsea are now favourites to sign England and Aston Villa midfielder Jack Grealish as they look to beat both Manchester clubs to his signature. Uh, that is from some random Spanish outlet. I would have great doubts that Jack Grealish is on the radar for Thomas Tuchel. He doesn't fit in Tuchel's system at all. At all. He doesn't work nearly hard enough off the ball for Thomas Tuchel either. Now, if he went back to his old 4-2-3-1, he could use him as a 10. But again, he doesn't work hard enough. Manchester United are among several clubs interested in PSG goalkeeper Kaylor Navas. Looks like PSG are going to sign Gigi Donnarumma. Navas then becomes available. Navas is better than any of United's goalkeepers right now. He's a better goalkeeper in 2021 than David De Gea. He's a better goalkeeper than Dean Henderson. So if they were getting rid of De Gea, Navas could make a lot of sense. Uh, Switzerland midfielder Granit Xhaka's transfer from Arsenal to Roma is not expected to be finalised anytime soon because the two clubs have reached a stalemate in negotiations for the 28-year-old. See, this is Arsenal playing silly beggars. If you have an opportunity to get rid of him and get real money for him, take it. Take it. He is one of the reasons you have become a laughingstock. The banter era at Arsenal will continue as long as players like Grant, uh, Granit Xhaka are at the club. Juventus and Wales midfielder Aaron Ramsey looks set for Premier League return. The 30-year-old has been linked with Crystal Palace, West Ham, Everton and Arsenal. Um, again for Arsenal please avoid him. The, the banter era would continue continue. Crystal Palace aren't going to pay anywhere close to the money that Ramsey will want. It does seem like a very West Ham or Everton thing to do. Now again, I mean the money he's on at Juventus there's probably two or three players in the Premier League earning that money. Pogba, De Bruyne, De Gea, that's probably it. But it would be a very Everton or West Ham thing to do, to be foolish enough. When, Especially West Ham, having made progress to go and throw it all away by bringing in Aaron Ramsdale. Liverpool are interested in Brighton's German midfielder, Pascal Gross. Uh, this is from an Italian outlet, and the answer is clearly no, they're not. Uh, Liverpool don't really sign players who are age 30. Pascal Gross, while a good player, is nowhere near good enough for Liverpool. And uh, they're not going to be signing a player like him anytime soon. soon. Um, Newcastle have added Liverpool defender Nat Phillips to their list of targets, but may have to compete with Burnley for the 24-year-old English centre-back who is likely to play regularly. When the likes of Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez and Joel Matip returned to injury, See, what's happening here, this is the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail journalist, and I, I use that phrase very loosely, who put together the collection of words that have been masqueraded as an article here. What he's done is he's had a quick look around the league and he's thought, right. What gammon and gravy managers are left? Now Big Sam is gone, so West Brom are out. Roy is gone, so Palace are out. You've got Steve Bruce, and he's had a quick look at Sean Dyche, and he's thought, right, he, he looks a little bit gammon and gravy. But what he's ignored is the fact that Sean Dyche requires his centre-backs to be good on the ball. Michael Keane was very good on the ball. James Tarkowski is very good on the ball. And Ben Mee is very good on the ball. He also requires his centre-backs to have excellent positional sense. Michael Keane had great positional sense. James Tarkowski had great positional sense. And Ben Mee has very good positional sense. Just because Deich plays a deep bank of four and a flat four in midfield, do not think that he just plays Grocs. His grocs play up front. Deich puts the big talentless fellas up front. His centre-backs are always very good. And you'll see, when Tarkovsky or me are out, how bad they they struggle without those two. Because they have run-of-the-mill, Nat Phillips-type Grocs in reserve. They can't play in Dyche's system. They just can't play in Dyche's system. And Nat Phillips, for whatever things he's good at, he is not anywhere near comparable to James Tarkovsky. He just isn't. Newcastle already have a bunch of centre-backs better than Nat Phillips. Nat Phillips is going to be a championship player, because that's Nat Phillips' level. If a Premier League club is foolish enough to pay money for him, everybody involved in recruitment of that club should be fired. Arsenal Scottish left back Kieran Tierney has been tipped as a potential Manchester City player by Neil Lennon. Well, Neil Lennon obviously worked with Celtic. I'm sure Arsenal fans will be delighted to hear, though, that Neil Lennon wants to take one of their only good defenders and put him at a different club. Um, but City do need a left back, and Kieran Tierney would be a big up, a big upgrade on what they have. Uh, Real Madrid centre back Rafa Varane is set to leave the Spanish Giants with Manchester United and Paris Saint Germain both interested. The 28 year old's preference is the League One club who will have to pay around 60 million euro. Um, Well, let's be honest, PSG will not blink twice at the idea of paying 60 million for Rafa Varane, who is, you know, one of the 10 best centre backs in the world. Um, and But I think Varane would have great hesitation about going to play for United at this point with the team they have, with the manager they have. I just don't think he's going to be looking at that and thinking, yeah, I, I, that's what I want to do with the prime end of my career. Uh, Leicester City's acquisition of Boubacari Samari could finally be completed this week. It can't. It can't be completed till July 1st when the transfer window for European clubs opens. Uh, Wolves and Everton are also admirers. Yeah, that deal is is as good as done. It just can't be completed until um until July the first. Burnley defender James Sarkowski hopes to secure a move to Fulham. Sorry, to West Ham this summer. The twenty eight year old is he featured 30, uh, 36 times, and he's out of contract in twelve months now he would make a lot of sense for Moyes in that Moyes is probably still looking to have a Phil Elka type at West Ham and Tarkovsky can be that for him. Nathan Collins is the name that comes up that Burnley are, are looking at to replace him. Nathan Collins, Irish centre back at Stoke. Really, really talented. Absolute giant of a human being. But very good in the ball. He's he's a Dyche type of centre back. Like, look at the type of centre backs Dyche has bought. Tarkovsky, Ben Gibson. Ball players. Not Grox. Everton are interested in sporting Lisbon midfielder Matthias Nunes. An initial fee of 15 million is being considered for the Brazilian with bonuses that will take it up to 17 million. Um, He's a talented player, had a really good season this past year as Sporting won the uh, Portuguese League. He's been there two years. They do need one in midfield they do and he is a good player he could be a very clever buy for them at that price as well that is a, that's a very fair price just to go back to that that samari thing um and the, the the way the transfer window actually works deals will be agreed that everything will be in place but again they just can't be finalized or completed until the transfer window is actually open for european moves now, see, that people wonder why I have an issue with the spoofer, with the catchphrase, and it's, it's because he, he does things like that as well. Like, he comes out and says things like official and confirmed. Or, for example, where's this one? This is it. Gianluigi Donnarumma's contract with Paris Saint-Germain until 2026 has been completed. Medicals are scheduled after Wednesday. Then it's going to be official. Like, no, it's not. His contract's not completed until his medicals are completed. And he's unlikely to be allowed to take medicals while he's off with the Italian team. Like, Mancini's not going to allow that. This is stealing other people's work and adding your own little bits to try and make it seem like you are completely clued in with absolutely everything. When, in truth, you're clearly not. Official and completed, West Ham confirms David Moyes. Why not just retweet West Ham? Nuno Espirito Santo was one step away from joining Everton, as revealed today by Dominic King. Retweet Dominic King, then. Loads of this is just nonsense. You go through his entire timeline, and it is just stealing work from others. Official and contract signed until 2024. Ginny Wijnaldum is a new Paris Saint-Germain player. Just repeat, just retweet the PSG account. But you need the interactions. That's what it comes down to. Manchester United reached an agreement with Sancho's camp on personal terms until 2026. Jaden is not creating any problem. How do you know? You don't know any of this. He's deleted a bunch of tweets now as well from the last couple of days because he had a few official and confirmed things in there as well that weren't official and confirmed. One of them was, um, was about Bubakari Samari, which is how I got on to this in the first place. He said about three weeks ago, official and confirmed. It's not confirmed. The transfer is confirmed when Leicester say it's confirmed, not when you say it's confirmed. Because you've stolen someone else's work. And you've added you know, contract until 2026 because you've guessed that's five years because that's the normal length of a contract or as reported by, and then a little small bit at the end that you've put in yourself, rather than just retweet the person and give them credit for their work and help them grow their brand. You I mean, has to be all about him. He thinks the whole transfer window's him. That's why I have an issue with him. That's why people, like... I won't name names, but that's why there's journalists out there right now that are furious with the way he carries on. Official and confirmed. You don't confirm anything, son. You're just a spoofer. The clubs will confirm when a deal is confirmed, not you. That's it. I'm out of here for today. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.